the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we have a lot to talk about today. I have been pouring through a story that makes me sick as I look closely at it. Um, As I read it, it just makes me crazy. Um, And it is the story of the man who uh, received the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, and then, of course, the, the everybody, the media, all and the and the big big the narrative machine, big media, big government, and big tech, all said it was a fake. It was Russian disinformation. And John Paul Isaac, who is the um, guy who had this store, this computer store, not only was he run out of business, he was run out of town. And he's just his life is a mess. He's only about forty five or forty six years old, and he's been targeted by the lie. Now. I'm not saying automatically he's a hero, but what you need to know is the media doesn't mind destroying people and they never come back around. They're not taking any, uh, they're not doing anything about it. I mean, they're not doing anything. There's no, there's no media push to set up a, a, a fund to help Mr. Isaac. And we'll come back to that. Anyway, that's what I, that's what I'm talking about. And it's just so important to understand the nature of uh, the opposition to we the people right now, because it's profound. All right, and we will also get a chance to visit uh, with John Schlafly. He's got a column. His column is Trumpify, Trumpify the GOP. He and Andy Schlafly will talk about that in a few moments. All right, so please, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, uh, and uh, take a listen to this uh, segment, other segments, pass them around, uh, and also sign up for the daily email. Okay, what you need to know. One of the ways we've been, I've been talking about it over and over again, but one of the ways to make it clear that the cost of opposing the preferred narrative, the preferred way of life, one of the ways to, to, uh, to enforce that and to enforce people to follow along is to raise the cost of opposing it. So it's not true that they arrest everyone that opposes their agenda. You may look up and you say, well, the January 6th guys are in jail, rotting in jail. They seem to be staying in jail longer than anyone else. There's a whole bunch of them that have no uh, violent uh, allegations, no violent crime allegations against them. It was uh, like trespass or disorderly conduct. You don't usually sit in jail for years or let me be, be clear for over a year because of that. Well, okay, that that looks like that would raise the cost, but that just means people don't go to protests. They don't go to rallies. They're careful. But you go across the board, if you go on social media, and let's say you're a young professional on social media, and you say the wrong thing, you'll get attacked, and you may get canceled, or you may just get embarrassed, and you may just realize it's not worth the stomach ache to get off of work and realize that you're being bandied about by trolls and reporters and other people. In a similar way, let's say that you care about pro-life and you decide to take a, a prominent role in the pro-life efforts of your church 
and your name is on a press release that you're having a rally or you're going to something, a prayer vigil, and the media calls. And the media says, oh, we're going to write a story. And by the way, uh, we looked into your background. Didn't you get a DWI when you were 20? Or didn't you have a bankruptcy? What is that? We're going to talk to the media. And so people, normal people, say, ah, maybe I'm not going to be as prominent because I don't want to deal with the media. I'm not going to deal with the press. And it raises the cost. Sometimes the cost that they raise is just in, in stress, right? If you're Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas, you're spending a lot of time talking about texts that were leaked by the Congress to the media. That looks like the only way it was, unless Ginny Thomas leaked them. And so raise the cost, raise the personal cost, raise the social cost, raise the professional cost. And then now and then you get to see an example where they actually destroy someone's life. That's not fair. Let me speak. Let me be fair. This this gentleman will have a life and he, he shouldn't be tied to all his, his value and his meaning is not tied to this at all. But it, but in terms of destroying his livelihood, making it impossible to live in his community. And that's what happened to this guy, John Paul Isaac. He's the guy who Hunter Biden walked into his shop. And I think it was in 2019. He was he walked into his shop and John Paul Isaac had this repair shop and he was handed, I think initially, yeah, three laptops Three laptops. So John Paul Isaac has started a business in 2010. He's been doing it for nine years. And in walks Hunter Biden on a Friday night in April 2019. And he drops off not three. He has three laptops. He he gets one backed up or gets one operational right away. One is totally tanked. And then Mr. Isaac takes possession of the third. And he says, I'll have to try to get the data recovery as you've asked. He gets the paperwork signed. He calls Hunter Biden in the next week or so and says, hey, I need one of these uh, massive gigabyte uh, uh, backup drives. Can you bring one here? I don't have one. It's a cost you should incur. Hunter Biden goes and gets one, brings it to him. He backs up this thing. And then he does everything by the book. He doesn't release the the, uh, laptop. First, he goes to the FBI. He doesn't do anything that's outside of what is within the, the, the realm of, of good judgment. You know, you can say he should have never talked to, say, Rudy Giuliani's lawyer. But that's further down the line, a year and a half, from where you are when he first starts. And so all he's doing is saying, hey, I got this stuff. He gives to the FBI. What's wrong? And he steps away. And once his name is leaked, then he gets death threats. His business gets basically shut down. He can't function in his community. And he does. He shuts his business, shutters his business, in business for nine years, almost 10 years, and he moves out of state. And he's now struggling to figure out if he's going to do bankruptcy, what he's going to do. And, you know, there's not a fund by the Washington Post or the New York Times or big tech to go and say, hey, sir, sorry, we got that wrong. We said you were part of the Russian disinformation. We said that you were just either an unwitting dupe or you were in on it. That's what we said. We either called you stupid or said you were part of a conspiracy with the Russians. Those were the choices that were laid out. This guy is an expert on computers and he's, a, he's being played by, by the Russians, everyone else. Or you're in on it and you're a Russian stooge. Those are your choices, pal. That's what the media did to him. And there's nowhere he can go to recoup his life. It Happily, he's interviewed in Breitbart, uh, Breitbart.com. You go there and read his interview. He sounds pretty well adjusted, all, all things considered. He sounds like a guy who actually has his head on straight, all things considered. 
I'm not sure that I'd be as even-tempered, or at least how he sounds on the interview. So he, uh, maybe he's getting through it, but he said he's contemplating bankruptcy. He's, he, he may lose his home. He's obviously strained relationships with friends and family, and all publicly, all with the public scrutiny. Police cars in front of his business for the two weeks it took for him to shut his business because he couldn't function. Police cars, because he's getting death threats one after another. And again, all of that happened because instead of being proclaimed a whistleblower, someone who stepped up to make a difference, he was proclaimed either a spy or a liar. No, that's not true. Either a spy or an idiot. And he was therefore vilified. And again, there's no scruples. There's no qualms. I don't see any real sense of uh, guilt. There's no apology to him by any of the media, by any of the intelligence community, the 51 officials who lied about it. They either lied or they were idiots. That's clear. They either lied or they were idiots. And so here we are. And we the people, if you don't think that the lesson for we the people, that if you if you do the right thing, but it hurts the wrong person according to the powers that be, you will pay the price. And so don't bother doing the right thing. Only do what they want you to do. Because again, if you do the right thing, but it hurts the wrong person, you're going to pay anyway. And so the message to we the people, again, back to my point, back to the essay from the late 70s that on, that by uh, Valak Havel about uh, self-censorship. We the people are seeing all around us that in little ways, social media, social media uh, people beating on you, people saying bad things, attacking you, your appearance, trolls and all that. In medium ways, remember when the Democrats, after Trump's, after the 2020 election, they announced they were going to have a Trump accountability project? They were going to try to hold anybody who worked in the Trump administration to a standard and not employ them? They raised the cost. And then you look over. And by the way, it, it has exactly the effect they want that we're talking about this gentleman, Mr. Isaac. Because they want, m- most people will say, whoa, I don't see much that's changed. I don't feel any more protected. And it works. It works. What you need to know is it's working to destroy him and to frighten you and me and to drive our behavior away from what it should be in a democratic republic in America. And so the two things we have to do is find ways to help a guy like Isaac as it's happening and afterwards and lots of the stuff with the J6 prisoners and others There's ongoing efforts, but also strengthen our voices to stand up and to be prominently for the truth and doing the right things and bolster each other, bolster each other, stand up for each other, get each other's backs, give each other a hand and help. This is very, very um, tenuous times. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with John Schlafly, uh, the Schlafly Report, and uh, a lot more. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and check in there on all that we're doing. Uh, pass it around to others, share it, like it, and uh, sign up for the daily email. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview for a few days now. Uh, our next guest is Pastor Brian Hawkins, and he um, I, he came to my attention because he has uh, been leading on the Educational Freedom Act, which in California, it's a school choice effort, an effort to say, hey, give the kids a chance to go where they know, where their parents know, where they can get a better education. And Pastor Brian Hawkins, who is a pastor, obviously, and a father, um, as is saying, hey, uh, the public school has, a fa- has um, failed his son and other kids. What can we do about it? And more importantly than anything, it looks like more and more people in California, citizens are saying, hey, give us a choice. Give us a choice. So first of all, welcome, uh, Pastor Hawkins. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, and uh, thank you for having me on here. I'm really excited and looking forward to this. Well, thank you for coming on. And CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org is a great website, great resource. You can find out more and sign a petition. So first of all, Pastor Hawkins, um, explain why you took took a leadership role in terms of raising your voice. Explain how you got there. Well, um, the first part you said earlier, I'm I'm a father. Uh, I have children uh, that are in elementary school. And so I'm extremely concerned uh, about my children's education, about their future. Um, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my children have access to the knowledge and the tools that they're going to need to succeed in life. You know, you, you hear the no child left behind, but oftentimes you, you, you never talk about the adults that are left behind once they graduate. You know, mm-hmm. reading an article a few few months ago about a young lady that graduated from high school and said she didn't even know how to read. And that's a common thing. There are so many kids that are, you know, especially African-American and Latino young men and women that are, you know, barely reading above fourth grade proficiency. Um, I always think about that TV show, Smarter Than the Fifth Grader. Uh, <laughs> that, and it, it made sense. You know, they were really poking fun at the public school system. You know, and so my children, you know, they deserve someone that's going to get in the ring and fight for their education. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor uh, Brian Hawkins, and um, we're talking about the effort in, in, in many states. It seems like the one, or maybe there's more than one, but one positive thing that came out of the pandemic period was parents looked a little closer at their kids' school, and in a lot of places, they came away saying, hey, I, I want more. I want better decisions. I want things to be made differently. And again, if you go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, you'll see more about this. But So tell me about this uh, this act uh, in California, the Educational Freedom Act. What would it do? What does it mean? How are you finding people's perception and interest? Well, uh, unfortunately, it's it's become political. Right. Uh, sad thing. Um, you know, when you look at the grades across the state, California being one of the fifth, sixth largest economy, all depends on, you know, where you get your stats from. Right. But they're one of the largest economies <clears throat> in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. But their public school system currently ranks 43rd. And, and, and that's, that's not a good statement. That's not a good place to be. Um, and, and so just to kind of make sure people understand this, one, it's not taking money from public schools. It's money that's already available. It's not asking for a t- tax increase. It's money from the Prop 98 funds uh, that is allocated. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, uh, it was enough to give, you know, you know, 
$12,500 per student, but it goes up because this is money that has already been allocated. It's basically saying, okay, there's, you know, over you know, a few billion dollars set aside for children's education. You divide it up by how many kids, about 6 million kids in the public school system. So when you take the money that's coming out of Prop 98 and you divide it by every child, it comes about $14,000 per student. And so we're, we're saying is, okay, parents should be allowed to send their kids to the school that's going to best benefit them, not what the school is saying is going to benefit them. Parents, you know, they sit and talk with their kids. They know the kid's future. My son, you know, he wants to be a pilot. He's in the eighth grade. I mean, he's, a, he's an eight-year-old. Right. He wants to be a pilot. Right. We put him in a school that has aviation program. Right. That, that school best fit for him. And so it's money that's allocated and it creates an educational savings account. So if you don't use the entire $14,000, it rolls over into a bonnet and a child can use that when they graduate from high school and they can take that into college or accredited trade school. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor Brian Hawkins and uh, Pastor Hawkins. Um, pardon me. I can't find my notes fast enough. You, you currently are you currently on uh, the city council? Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, 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 and so you're in a leadership position already in a city council. How's the response to this? In other words, you know, for years, and I, I'm not sure why it matters, but I'll say you happen to be African-American. I mean, maybe you have such a manly voice. People just thought you were a man. But I mean, there you have it. And so how have you found the response? Because it, it it's always seemed like a mixture, an odd mixture, some inner city Democrats, but not many. And then lots of uh, free market Republicans seem to like school choice. But after that, you get establishment Republicans who get antsy. They, they like their public schools and you get Democrats who are in, enthralled with the teachers union. How, how have you found the reception to a real demand for school choice? So it all depends on who you ask. And you uh-huh. hit the, you know, if I ask somebody that's connected to the teachers union, obviously this is a threat, you right. know, bad thing because it's a threat to the teachers union not to the academics of the students and and that like there should be the biggest problem you know why would the teachers union have a problem with opening up schools teaching children you know stuff that they're really going to need for the future you know not you know just attendance and i I tell people like that you know feel like public schools now are more concerned with attendance than they are with academics. Uh, you know, I've talked to some teachers. A lot of teachers feel handicapped in the classroom because they want to be creative. They want to teach. A lot of teachers, you know, are, you know, upset that they got to teach what legislators are saying teach, you know, teach this hypersexual education, you right. know, teach, you know, this racist theology. There's a, uh, there's a lot of teachers who would love that educational freedom. There are many teachers and educators that I come across that are applauding this. And I tell you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, this make it on the ballot and get passed and the public school system try to get in on this because they know there there are some superintendents, I've talked to them, that, you know, don't like the direction of the school, but they're bound by the union. They're bound by, you know, the lawyers. They're bound by, you know, you know, special interest groups, but there are some superintendents. We had a great superintendent in my school, in my school district here in San Jacinto. You know, she recently let go a couple of years ago because she was doing something very innovative with the students and, and they just didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you, when you kick against the, the, the wall or you kick against the, you know, special interests or the powers that be, you know, and you're not focused on the children, we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor Brian Hawkins, uh, serves on the city council uh, in California, San Jacinto, I think it is, and uh, also a candidate for Congress, I think. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I'm trying to 
fight all the way as far as I yeah can. yeah well it's great i mean i i i especially applaud the fact that uh, uh you're a pastor who has taken that step into uh into the uh, arena as we say uh what do you think in this moment in this moment in american life what do you think it's going to take for more people People of color, maybe, but not only people just in socioeconomic is more than anything. The people that pay the I, I come from St. Louis, Missouri, our city schools, our urban schools. Most of the kids that suffered are black and, and brown. But the fact is that in the country, the people who get failed by our schools are poor. That's generally because if you're rich, you can buy your way out or you can move. Uh, but what do you think it's going to take to shatter some of the political uh uh clubbiness you know that you know you're supposed to if you if you think it's uh you know you're supposed to vote democrat if you're black or you're supposed to you know vote republican if you're pro-life how, how can we change that well you know it's it's really going to take individuals to take a hard look at the public school system's performance yeah and, and to really see with an unbiased eyes of hey you know the schools is really not helping children be prepared for life. And you hear this conversation and it's, and it's really interesting. You hear this conversation in the African-American community. You hear this in the Hispanic community. The problem is, is that you have elected officials that people have grown to trust and like, and they're, you know, this we're working on it or, you know, the Republicans are hindering progress. And so as long as you have individuals that are in office that are justifying why we can't fix it, you know, here it is in California where the legislation since 1956 has been all Democrats. We're a supermajority. Yet and still, they're able to convince people that it's the Republicans that's holding up progress. That's mm-hmm. impossible in a supermajority state. We're, we're above a filibuster. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but individuals, a lot of people, because civics is not being taught, yeah. people don't know law. People don't know that California is a supermajority. People don't know. They're just assuming that the, the, the six million Republicans in the state of California that is 39 million people. They're saying the six main Republicans is holding up progress. It's, it's, it's impossible. There's not enough legislators in the House and in the Senate to hold up progress in the state of California. But so it's going to take, I believe, and, 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 and I say this, my election has so much historical value to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I have a story myself. You know, I went from, you know, being incarcerated to being an elected official to endorsed mm-hmm. by the sheriff of Riverside County, the DA of Riverside County, the state GOP. So that right there is a historical story. So imagine someone like me with my story, African-American man, a pastor, a pastor's a trusted, well, used to be strongly trusted position in the church, but that's right. even, yeah. right. but, but it's going to take someone like myself that comes and stand against the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons and, and the constant rhetoric that has kept black people and Hispanic people in the same rut for years. Well, I tell you this, it's exciting to hear and ex- most exciting also to hear the project progress on even speaking loudly and clearly on the Educational Freedom Act in the California legislature, uh, getting people saying, hey, we can do better. Again, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. I will also put up on social media, you have an unbelievable ad uh, from runaway slaves to running for Congress on your YouTube channel, and I'll put that up too. <laughs> and uh, and we, we, as you said, you know, the, 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 our stories, where we come from um, are important, right? But also... Uh, uh, I think for our nation, it's kind of uh, we're growing and, and, and we're changing in some really good ways. So thanks for taking the time. We'll have you back on again. We'll be in touch. And uh, I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. God bless you. All right. Thank you, sir.
All right, everyone, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I'll put that up on it's Pastor Brian Hawkins, extraordinary uh, uh, conversation, but also extraordinary uh, background. And, and as he mentioned, uh, uh, and also on his YouTube channel, really uh, something to see. I'll put it all up on social media. And you can check out this interview again and pass it on to your friends at ProAmericaReport.com. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, is uh, the author, the co-author with his brother of the weekly Schlafly Report, which rolls out at townhall.com, our sister site, and is available archived always over at phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, if you go there, you'll see a link to it. Trumpify the GOP is the title of this column. John and Andy Schlafly. Welcome back, John. How are you? Good, Ed. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Good. Before we get to your column, um, I did get some reaction our last week, or it could have been the week before, we're talking about the Ukraine and Russia, you and I. And so um, people really interested. And um, I think the perspective that uh, people are getting from the media is so skewed. What are your thoughts today, John? I mean, we're at a point where um, it looks like, I don't know, it's at least if you believe the press, it's hard to believe them that there's you know, something of a stalemate. I think um, um, nobody really knows. Uh, Zelensky in Ukraine is saying he'll take neutrality and and uh, can we just stop? And nobody, I don't know, it, it doesn't. And meanwhile, I noticed in the press that the um, uh, uh, testimony up on Capitol Hill from a general, U.S. general said, yeah, our intelligence may have been off um, about Ukraine. Um, so I think they're starting to walk back all the great certainty they had. Uh, what do you think about what's going on now and where we are? Well, how many times has our intelligence been off? And, and the idea about sanctions deterring the invasion, that was certainly the uh, the intent that was announced and expressed many times before. And then afterwards, Trump said, oh, no, well, where'd you ever get that idea? Trump, I mean, not Trump, but Biden said, Biden, uh, yeah. you know, sanctions were never intended to deter the invasion, which, of course, is on record saying that. And... Uh, of course, that did not happen, and uh, troops are inside Ukraine, and I don't think they're leaving without taking a chunk of Ukraine with them, uh, frankly. I mean, I think that's the reality here. Terrible death and destruction has happened in the last month, and um, at what's tremendous cost, and what's the outcome of this, and for... Zelensky to say now, after a month of this, that he's now willing to consider neutrality. Well, if he had said that before, maybe this never would have happened. Uh, I think that's what Putin wanted. He wanted Ukraine to be a neutral country on Russia's border and not to join NATO. And instead, uh, uh, Ukraine uh, stated openly that it was wanted to join NATO and the European Union. And um, so with uh, Zelensky backing off from that, uh, maybe there's hope that this fighting can come to an end. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I would talk with John Schlafly. Uh, sorry, John, let's move to the column. Uh, this week's column, uh, Trumpify the GOP. Um, so we'll talk about the thrust of the column. But as a threshold matter, isn't it already Trump's GOP? Well, um, it's certainly true at the presidential level. Mm, uh, I see. But what about these lower-ranking offices? 
And I think that we've got an awful lot of uh, other Republican officials, elected officials, and so forth, who haven't never got the message. And uh, so, and some of them are in the state of Michigan, which is or ought to be a Trump state. So, as we write uh, this week, the focus. Trump's focus this week is on Michigan. He's going to Michigan to a rally. He's going to specifically call out and denounce two members of Congress from Michigan uh, and uh, who are Upton and Meyer, who voted to impeach Trump and, uh, and voted against, who crossed Trump in other ways, too. And they have no business representing the Republicans in Michigan, frankly. And Trump has endorsed candidates against them, who are running against them in a primary that's coming up pretty soon. Now, that's very bold and audacious on the part of Donald Trump because Republicans, let's admit, I mean, Republicans just have uh, a tendency to reward the incumbent and to reward the next in line. People have joked about that. That's That's gone on for years. And the question is whether that historical tendency uh, you know whether Trump can interrupt that and to say that to say uh, no, if we're going to Trumpify the GOP, we have to, in effect, purge. I kind of hate to use that word, but I mean, with uh, we all know about Liz Cheney because she is such a high-profile person on the January 6th c- committee. But there are others. There's a. Uh, uh, and uh, two of them are in Michigan. Well, John, I was in the state legislature, too. Yeah, uh, Trump is calling for candidates running for the state legislature. And that will be the focus of his rally in Michigan this weekend. We're talking with uh, John Schlafly. Um, John, uh, the um, but Trumpify the GOP at the grassroots level, when you watch the ebb and flow of of sort of policy amongst the party system, you can say something like, well, over the last 20 years, you've noticed and you can look at it at the, at, at, at the, at the local level as well, uh, a, a growing um, uh, Democrat party growing towards mandatory pro-abortion. You, you can't be pro-life anymore, really at almost any level. Might be able to get away with it. It's uh, some state reps out state or something in different parts of the country. Uh, but you watch this ebb and flow. When you say Trumpify the GOP, uh, two of the areas that Trump transformed the conversation were immigration, which from top to bottom had really um, embraced, the party had embraced, the Republican Party, a notion of more immigration, it will all equal out, it'll be good for the economy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, and, the, and the, um, the reality of that uh, was, oh, and then, and then the, the notion of the uh, wars, um, the, the muscular nature of the, of the uh, military translated in the Republican Party into a sort of the George W. Bush, right? We're going to make sure that uh, the world is not just safer democracy, but that we're promoting democracy in the world. Those two shifted with Trump fairly dramatically. And there's other examples. Isn't that done? I, 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 can you be a national Republican um, and, and hold a, uh, a previously acceptable position on on a Republican Party on immigration or on these wars. Now, maybe the maybe the Ukraine war is serving the purpose of redoing re, re that. But uh, you see where I'm going. Well, I think the Republicans in the U.S. Senate and House are backsliding seriously on both of those issues. Of course, we've seen what happens in 
Ukraine, which is, you know, flies in the face of everything Trump said about the disastrous wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and Libya. And uh, we're seeing all this all play out again now with the wars. And then on immigration, you know, Biden has allowed an estimated 2 million illegals to enter our country and disappear. Uh, we don't even know where they are. Um, and what are the national Republicans doing about that? There are things they could do, but they're not doing. Instead, what we hear is that a handful of Republicans have introduced a new amnesty bill. The bill is led by Maria Salazar, a Cuban-American from Miami. But she's got a dozen or so other Republicans as co-sponsors. And uh, she's getting a lot of attention. And uh, that she's reintroduced that to the table. And that's part of the conversation now on from the Republican side. And nothing is being done, really, to stop what uh, Biden has been doing to open our borders to anyone and everyone who wants to enter from Mexico. But is that the Trumpification of the GOP, John? I mean, when the title, we're talking with John Schlafly, and again, his piece is over at phyllisschlafly.com. When you say Trumpify the GOP, um, I know what you mean in terms of the um, people, right? But down at the end of your column, you talk with liberal control, big tech, Hollywood, and media. Liberal donations are as much as 50 times a conservative. Well, uh, that's right. Um, I see that, too. But what is the what are the sets of policy positions? Um, you know, America first, I was discussing earlier, that can mean anything to anybody. Whereas if you look back at a say a Peter Navarro, you and I were talking offline, who before he was in the Trump White House had written a book, Death by China, done a documentary, Death by China, which was showing that the China, the relationship we were having with China was not serving the American people's interest. It was serving multinational corporations interest. He was a voice. So was late Phyllis Schlafly, your mother, and so many others. But by the time Trump's done, that isn't a voice. That's the, that is the voice of the Republican Party, I think. And is that happening, or are we backsliding on that? Well, I think the majority of the Republican base is certainly aligned with Trump. But uh, the trouble is, you know, Trump himself has been somewhat offstage uh, due to his lack of having a platform online. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, while the, the cat's away, the mice will play. The mice being the members of Congress and the Senate, who are Republicans, are basically exploiting Trump's absence in order to revert to their historical uh, pattern. And uh, they're really not doing uh, what could be done. And of course, they, White House just released the budget, and so much of what goes on in our government is defined by the federal budget and federal spending. And uh, I don't think Republicans really have a plan to um, basically redirect the spending of the United States government away from the Biden agenda into the Trump agenda, except on those points in which Joe Manchin disagrees with his party. So what what Joe Manchin is doing is okay as far as it goes. Joe Manchin, for example, we're depending on Joe Manchin right. to say no to a repeal of the Hyde Amendment. If it weren't for Joe, uh, it's p quite possible that the Hyde Amendment would be gone. Mm -hmm. And 
because the Republicans are just so weak. They're they're going to go ahead with a continuing resolution, uh, which basically lets the whole federal government continue on autopilot without any vote on all these billions of dollars of spending program. Right. Part of the federal budget is to provide legal aid to the illegal aliens who crossed our borders. Give them lawyers, not lawyers to defend Americans, but to lawyers to exploit the gaps in our immigration system so that the illegals be able to stay here indefinitely. And with with lawyers paid for, the U.S. taxpayers. Now, that's in Biden's budget. And are the Republicans going to stop that? Well, um, my guess is that issue may not even come to a vote, uh, and it'll just happen mm. without anybody, you know, going on record, pro or con. Yeah, and it's, so that situation we face until the Republicans can take back, you know, both houses of Congress and the White House. Um, John, it's um, we're watching also in the column you reference um, one, one last question here. We reference the um, the targeting of the uh, of the folks of the January sixth uh, Select Committee. Um, do you you can say what you want about the left and the Democrats when they get power? They whether it's Lois Lerner's IRS uh, or the Select Committee, they go for you know to make life difficult for their opponents. You see any um, other than Trump? You talk about Trumpify the GOP. Who's doing that for the for the for the conservative side? Who's who's the attorney general in the state or somewhere? I guess DeSantis does. Right. That's the one we get a lot of attention. But who's doing that? Who's fighting back uh, uh, with a sense of urgency? Well, uh, some of the state attorney generals are doing a good job. and they've actually achieved some successes where they've been able, where they've lucked into having uh, their cases brought before a Trump-appointed judge. And so I give some credit to them, but it's not, it's nowhere near enough uh, uh, because they're just states. <laughs> and, uh, and there's nobody, I see nobody in, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say I see nobody. Uh, that would be that was an exaggeration. I give a shout out to a handful of members of the House of Representatives and one or two in the Senate, but the vast majority are basically going along to get along. Mm-hmm. That's right. very sad. Without having uh, President Trump to light a fire under them. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, John. John Schlafly, Trumpify the GOP. It's a good one. You probably could write a book out of that. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, so uh, we will uh, we'll touch base. We'll circle back. John Schlafly and Andy Schlafly write the uh, weekly Schlafly report available again over at townhall.com and on phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, and we will also post this interview and the interview every week with John over at uh, proamericareport.com. Uh, you can sign up there for the daily email as well as uh, pass around this uh, link to this uh, piece. And we will take a break. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. At the U.S. Supreme Court's hearing on President Joe Biden's suffocating COVID regulations, the most prominent two words in the view of the court's majority seem to be who decides. In other words, is this an issue that the federal executive should decide or one that the states or even Congress should decide? 
This two-word question has application far beyond COVID mandates. For example, the Constitution and two centuries of tradition confirm that the states decide election procedures and that they have the authority to prevent and punish misconduct. Transparency should be mandated by all state legislatures in order to deter and drive out fraud. Panic by the poll numbers showing how many people recognize pervasive election fraud, liberals found little-known Senator Mike Rounds, Republican of South Dakota, to declare that the 2020 election was in fact fair. But the senator has not audited any ballots cast in battleground regions, and President Trump fitly responded by observing that Rounds just went woke. States should reform their laws to restore the authority of state legislatures to pick the slate of presidential electors and, if necessary, to override reported results that were tainted by lack of verification. This is not a matter to be left in the hands of unaccountable courts or election officials. Picking the next president is far too important an issue for state legislatures to delegate to another branch of government. And Trump stands by to endorse the opponent of any Republican who foolishly obstructs legislation for election integrity. Trump has a nearly perfect track record of success by his endorsements of candidates for the good reason that restoring secure elections is a top priority of the American people, too. The all important question of who decides is one that every grassroots activist should pay attention to. It may be the role of the states to decide matters of election integrity. But it is the role of the active citizen to decide that we will not be governed by cowards and paper pushers. Don't just stand around complaining how somebody should do something about election integrity. You do something. Let your state legislators know you want your elections to be secure and be vigilant to make sure they follow through. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. American citizenship should never be taken lightly. That's why you need to go to phyllisschlafly.com and be part of the dialogue on the need for border security and an accurate census, the travesty of sanctuary cities, and voting rights for illegals. Voice your opinion at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, we have only a, wow, less than a minute to finish up, so let me preview. Tomorrow he's back. Noah Dingley, our great producer, is back with Noah Says, our segment. We will rollick through all the new issues, all the old issues, and especially how the St. Louis Cardinals have Albert Pujols, the former Dodger and the former Angel, uh, for one last season, it's going to be spectacular. We'll talk. We'll catch up with Noah. But seriously, Noah Noah says our great segment where we talk with Noah Dingley, the producer. He is a producer here at our our station, The Answer San Diego. Does his own programming. Also produces Andrea Kay. He's a superstar and a great friend. So tune in tomorrow for Noah says. Thank you as always to Noah and also to Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. And uh, thank you for listening. Please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Sign up there for the daily email and also see all these great segments. Talk to you tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.